0: Welcome to Altered States of Context, a podcast about psychedelic psychotherapy and the uneasy fit between a medicalized view of human suffering and the mysterious mystical world of psychedelic drugs. I'm your co-host, Nathan Gates.
1: And I'm your co-host, Brian Palecki. We're two therapists and longtime psychedelic advocates who love to discuss all aspects of this fast evolving field. Thanks for keeping it current with us.
0: And thanks for keeping it weird as we dive into today's episode. All right, today, Brian and I are going to talk with Andy Mitchell. He's a clinical neuropsychologist who's treated patients with various neurological and psychiatric conditions, including brain trauma, dementia, epilepsy, depression, and anxiety disorders. He lives in London. Today he's going to talk about his new book, 10 Trips, in which he describes his experience having 10 different psychedelic experiences in very different types of contexts, ranging from academic settings to indigenous communities. He provides a fresh take on psychedelics and a unique perspective of sampling several subcommunities within the larger psychedelic community, including therapists and scientists, psychonauts and inner travelers and spiritual or religious practitioners. It's a fun conversation, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Altered States of Context. I'm your host, Brian Pilecki, along with my co-host here, Nate. Nate, how are you?
0: Good. Good, thanks.
1: I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, Andy Mitchell and talk with you, Andy, about a really, seems like, fascinating book and uh, perspective on the psychedelic field. It seems like a book that's uh, traversed a lot of ground, and I'm wondering if maybe you could start us off by telling us a little bit about the book and the project that you worked on.
2: Yeah, well, I've got got sort of a, a mishmash of backgrounds in in literature and philosophy originally and then in ngos and then uh, for about 20 years as a clinical neuroscientist and i wrote some rather sort of strange case study books under a pseudonym that were a mix of oliver sachs and um S. thompson and uh, a couple of years ago my publisher uh, penguin in london approached me and said why don't you take on uh psychedelics um uh, it's It had been a few years since Pollen's book, and I had not taken any drugs for 25 years. And so I thought I will jump in, te- in a terrified, being terrified, the only way is to jump rather than dip my toe. So I committed to doing 10 different psychedelic drugs in 10 very different contexts, beginning in an F- fMRI machine with a drip fed DMT, and then ending up in the Amazon with um, uh, indigenous tribes, uh, different indigenous tribes with different indigenous substances, and then curating all the kind of things that one might expect to find in between. So MDMA therapy, um, psilocybin therapy, new age churches, uh, punk recreational, psychonautical odysseys. Uh, so, so that uh, All the bases were covered in terms of set and setting and and the major molecules or major compounds.
1: Yeah, that's that's super cool because it it feels like that's such a unique perspective to have. You know, most folks in the psychedelic, community or, or field have a particular, you know, sub community that they're part of, whether it's a therapist community or spiritual community, but it sounds like you kind of came in and, and, and wanted to kind of sample a broad perspective of orientations and traditions and ways of using psychedelics.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, obviously while I was working clinically, I was aware of the so-called psychedelic renaissance and I'm working in the field of mental health. Primarily I was in neurology, but I did work in the field of mental health and I know how attritional that field has been and how little innovation there's been in terms of psychiatry for, for so long and the limitations of the medical model, whatnot. So then as one does, one saw papers or read news clippings about the revolutionary um, impact that um, things like psilocybin and MDMA were having in clinical trials. And it engendered a kind of excitement, but primarily, if I'm honest, scepticism, it just felt that this, this was the kind of antidote that we in the sort of capitalist West might construct for ourselves. We're kind of going to hell in a handbasket in terms of the medical model for treating psychiatry. We need some new superhero. Big farmers run out of ideas. There's hardly been anything pharmacologically for so long. Uh, So that was my, that was, that was the sort of, uh, as well as being aware of, uh, being quite aware of how some people's lives had been totally transformed by it. I was also just naturally Britishly skeptical about this hype <laughs> machine. And it seemed that you could track it from, you know, before Pollens book, but certainly with Pollens book, there was a quantum leap. And then just as I started sniffing it out, there was it was obvious that you know the whole thing had been um venture capitalized and that there was patent arguments going on. And so when it when it came to it, I thought I really want to sample uh the minutiae of different models, as well as the as well as kind of as well as wanting to do something kind of picaresque and travelogish myself, because wanting that as a writer and as a series of experiences, I wanted to uh, traverse as much psychedelic conceptual terrain because it seemed quite quickly that psychedelics are, if apart from their own qualities, they are something of a test case. For what we as a culture do with novel objects and uh from that perspective it shall i carry on in this sort of vein or do you want to yeah no
1: go for it from that
2: perspective it, it became as i curated these trips it became obvious that there was there was broadly speaking one might one might have a medical model for usage a spiritual model for usage and let's call it a recreational model for usage. But within the medical model, uh, it, there was an obvious fractionation between the kinds of research that was happening in in neuroscience. For example, Robin Carhart Harris's uh, attempts to build some kind of um, model of action and mechanism of action for the effects of psychedelics on the brain. And this seemed to be a long way from what was happening in terms of psychotherapeutic research within the medical model. And there was an, you know, where, where, for example, in the neuroscience, they might speak of neuroplasticity in psychotherapy, they would speak of psychological flexibility. And it was interesting that every, people, these people within the same model are talking about things that may equivalent to each other, but may have nothing to do with each other. And it, it, it sort of, so it became interesting to me that these kind of dualisms were taking place. And then you kind of jump then into a sort of spiritual model. And there again, you've got this kind of, it, 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 spiritual is such a coarse term, and you've got these kind of New Age fusions in California, which are completely different from the kind of more, let's say, unfiltered, shamanic, uh, spiritualities that one might find in Peru and southern Colombia and then equally in the recreational model you've got on the one hand you've got kids on youtube trying to max uh max their cerebral cortexes on one substance or another and then you've got a much more kind of reflective uh philosophical existential form of recreational or experimentation and and that that tradition that goes from McKenna through Dale Pendel to people like Eric Davis and Mike J today, all of which is to say there was this kind of big psychedelic map. There were different factions and tribes. They were all speaking about the same thing, sometimes using different language, sometimes using the same language, sometimes putting up barriers between my country and your country, but sometimes importing the terminologies of other countries to support their models and such like. And it felt like a giant disney mess, to be honest.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I think it is that. <laughs> um, and, you know, interestingly, I had a different... Uh, I wanted to back up uh, for a second, but I also noticed that within the medical model, you kind of point out the psychotherapeutic uh, and neuro kind of roughly those perspectives. Right. Um, And um, as I've spent a lot of time with those. And I mean, I don't even think I wouldn't even, I think that's a split that goes pretty deeply. And I don't even think that they operate from similar models. Like there's a, there's a medical model and a therapeutic model that are uh, like, they're so different that they're not even in the same region, (laughs) Personally, I don't think. But um backing up a little bit, um, I was curious about one thing you said, and I kind of wanted to follow that thread and then kind of weave back into this. Um, you said um at the beginning of this, uh at the beginning of this uh task when your editors kind of had this idea and you were gonna do 10 trips with 10 different drugs, and you said, you well, know, I haven't done anything in 25 years. Um and we, you know, which presumably means that you had 25 years previously done things and you were you used the word, you said you were terrified. And I'm curious to hear more about that, terrified. What what terrified you at the first? You've you've, you've you've
2: gone, as a a psychotherapist, you've gone straight for my intellectualizing defense. (laughs) So I... I, I, Nate's good (laughs) at what he does. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, okay. So I'll uh, be earnest. Um, So I badly abused alcohol and class A drugs in my late teens and early 20s. And if I took psychedelics then, which I certainly did on occasion, it was on the top of a a taster menu of booze and other other class A's. Yeah. Uh, and then I got clean and sober around about the age of sort of in my mid-twenties, something mm-hmm. as, around, around that time. And to begin with, I took it in a kind of very orthodox, 12 stepy way. Uh, and for most of the time, I was like that. But things just, I start... Uh, I took a sabbatical from a hospital in London uh, about four years ago when there was some seismic changes in my life, the death of my father um, and, and other things, the, an illness with one of my kids. I took a sabbatical and went to... Uh, and the, the purpose of the sabbatical officially was to look at how mindfulness meditation might be used in clinical neurology Uh, with different patient groups and how those how those say for want of a better word eastern technologies might be adapted to the patient groups that we were encountering in London Um, and that was the purported um, uh, purpose of the uh, of the sabbatical but I kind of found out quite quickly that I was just burnt out and I needed to uh, meditate and I was in uh, Big sir uh, in uh, a car park in Whole Foods. And this lady just walked across the car park and she was just, she just had something about her. So I um I put a, I wrote a note down uh, and put it in the windshield of her car said, would you like to go for a cup of tea? And we were, we found ourselves having tea uh, the next day. And it turned out that she was an Ayahuasca, that she ran ceremonies. This was her business for a, for a, an ayahuasca church, and we got into a kind of debate about the virtues of uh, of psychedelics. Uh, and first of all, that was intellectual. And then it was then she was saying, "Well, how the how the hell do you know what you're on about?" There's different ways of knowing things, and you've you've got no knowledge of these things, and yet you you treat them with a certain degree of disdain. And I had to take the point. And she was kindly and supportive and thoughtful, and she. Took me to a toad ceremony. Uh, so this was about well, this was about three and a half years ago. And I had this experience of on a breakthrough dose of five MeO of it's an unbelievable profundity. And it made me um curious, but it also was, you know, uh, unspeakably terrifying in the buildup, enduring it. It was only, it was only in the sort of the the 20 minutes where i re uh read sort of territorialized in the room and watched the layers of myself come back uh as thin skinned as an onion i could see every single constituent part of my selfhood um re reforming it was only then that i sort of saw what that terror might be uh, pointing towards and so that made me curious. So, I, and I think you know, I ended up on the on the research for the book. I ended up doing forty trips in sixty days. It was the way that the thing was curated was in a very condensed amount of time. And I would say, for every one of those, each trip began with anxiety and um, fear, and a wish and a regret, and a wish to not be there. And I learnt. Um, how to meet that and, uh, work with it and in make inquiries about it. And interestingly, particularly the MDMA experience, which was guided by an expert was very useful for just sort of turning that anxiety on its axis and seeing something that it gave, it gave way, it gave way to beyond it. And I, and I, I remember then reading, um, Matthew Braggart, who's done quite a lot of, on the neuroscience of, um, mdma and 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 there are there are sort of neuromechanisms that suggest that initial anxiety is is part of the pathway into the heart opening that's as far as i got in terms of reading about it so that that, that, there's a there's a a, a sort of more uh, confessional account of about the fear but can i just say one one more thing that just goes just goes back to the safer ground of intellectualizing i just wanted to say that I, I talked about these different territories on the map on the psychedelic map and i think that when when i started writing the book i thought psychedelics were like a a, a multifaceted jewel that depending on you know which particular tribe were looking at the psychedelics the psychedelics seemed to fit what the people were uh wanting of it so whether it was neuroscience or a new age church or whatever but this just broke down slowly over the course of the book as a metaphor because partly because psychedelics never quite did what people wanted them to do they you know the different the different perspectives the different models tried to contain psychedelics and psychedelics were for various ways slipping the net of the way that they were trying to be contained, uh, and containment there's a really interest has got interesting connotations in the history of psychothe- psych- psychedelic assisted therapy. But I I gave that up, and rather than the multifaceted jewel, I thought, well, it's much more like water, and water is a substance that we. The, if if I'm going to use a metaphor, why not water? Because water is something that we know through and through in terms of its physics and its chemistry the science of water we know that so much poetry and art has been dedicated to water but we know nothing of the shape of water in and of itself we only know water by the shape with which we put which we, with which we contain it so and we're, and then what we so what the shape that we give to water is our own container and that container is really a reflection of us rather than the shape of water itself so i thought that was a kind of more sophisticated metaphor because it built in something fundamental about the observer effects uh it, with psychedelics in and and the way that the observer effects just infiltrate whatever model you're in whether you like it or not whether you acknowledge it or not
1: hmm. yeah i think that's so fascinating to <clears throat> to to name that that th- this is going on in our culture. I and mean, I, I definitely see it a lot in um, other professionals and colleagues, and I, I see it a lot in clients where they kind of project onto this idea of psychedelic assisted therapy. Um, you know, this is, this is what I've been missing my whole life, or this is going to cure my depression, or this is going to be the thing that, that finally does it for me. Um, and you know, it 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 seems to be so many different things for so many different people.
2: Well, that's right. But even even the even the teams that are researching uh, it are making their own containers as though these things were properties of psychedelics. So, for example, John Hopkins and the spiritual experience, the the idea of the mystical experience at John Hopkins, as though that's a real thing in the world, rather right. than and the artifact of something that comes out of the 1960s. Similarly with Imperial's ego death, as though that's a a real thing in the world. And yet these things quickly solidify and concretize in the minds, not just of the therapists, then the therapists themselves are are looking for so-called spiritual experiences in the raw data of someone's experience. And the whole thing becomes a cycle, you know, a a virtuous loop, a confirmatory loop.
0: Mm. So I'm curious, tell me about, uh, let's, let's dive into the, you know, the experiences and, you know, like 10 different substances. And I'm curious, you know, uh, you may be without, you know, for the interest of time, not like details into every single one, but, you know, just what you think most relevant is like comparing, contrasting, uh, you know, different substances, different experiences that you had um uh things that you liked more things that you liked less just you know i'm interested in the um the the comparison between uh the different experiences evoked by different substances i mean i think you know
2: um there's a sort of uh um it's a commonplace to say everyone's got a drug of choice The, the, the drug that suits their personality like the food or the sport that suits their personality and i think for me it it definitely appears appears to be mescaline based um substances i i found my experience um with very strong wachuma uh in the andes with um a curandero that used different i mean there's there's a i go into this in the bit, a bit in the book there's a sort of quite a confusion about wachuma's lineages and the different practices but this guy this guy gave us different, on across the course of a week, we went through several different Wachuma ceremonies and one in particular, uh, which I think was from the Caro tribe who are native to Ecuador, involved waking at, at dawn around about 3 a.m. and walking up a volcano to watch the sunrise. And then you know, the half-life, it's about a 13 hour experience. And we spent all 13 hours in the mountains largely walking in silence and then maybe stopping once every hour. Um, uh, And there'd be silent meditation and then some music and singing for five or 10 minutes. And then we continue walking. And I mean, I think, okay, so why, what is it about mescaline? um, I think one thing that mescaline so appeals to for me is that there was no visual hallucinations. There was just the sense of uh, becoming uh, an organ of receptivity to the quality of thisness or being in the natural world. So suddenly uh, my sense of the aliveness of the grass or the trees or the birds was so overwhelmingly powerful. And The gap between myself as an observer and thinker about them and them as separate and um, uh, mysterious collapsed. Not that I knew anything about them. I just was of a piece with them. There was something, uh, and it it reminded me very, very powerfully of poetry I'd read, um, uh, different kinds of poetry, and also different kind of early philosophy about the nature of being it just it was so so profoundly associative for me um and i found myself quite to my surprise just in tears for the whole of the 13 hours without really re- really feeling any sadness uh, it, 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 tears for the first time that were just bidden by nothing other than a sense of beauty and connectedness so that that was um that was one experience i think that i think it suited me particularly because there was no containment either i wasn't i didn't have an eye patch on i wasn't on a, a on a couch as i had been for some of these other experiences there was no playlist that was being inflicted on me i i got the sense of my own animal nature and being
0: free to go anywhere and i, I really appreciated that too so interestingly you know given the nature of our our Just conversation so far, and you know, we kind of go back and forth between experiential and then like putting words or models or um, you know, and this, you know, what you're describing is sort of like a boundless type experience, you know. And so immediately, I'm sure, you know, you are then, you know, 13 hours, your ends, you know, you're starting to come down, and you know, increasingly the next day, you know, that mind comes back online. Right. And I'm like, and I'm curious what container, what water container are you building right away for it? Because that's my guess is that's how, you know, your mind works is that it immediately, that was amazing. And how do I, how, how does this container building uh, mind of mine begin to make sense? So I wonder what you noticed about that model yeah, around it.
2: It's a, it's a good, it's a good thing because, you know, th- I think there was something about that particular tradition where you don't talk about your experience with, the other people, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, we've got Western psychotherapy um, uh, where, we're, uh, where we're encouraged to talk and, you know, divulge, our, uh, uh, expose our defense mechanisms, go into difficult stuff. Whereas with this particular tradition, there was just, it was the opposite. Let's just keep it silent. It's for you that. Mm-hmm. And and you ask about how I internalized it. Well, I kind of felt the set, I somehow internalized that tradition is that I didn't take it to pieces and question it. I just left it as it was, as an experience. And I, as I talk about it now, I can feel somatically the, mm. kinds, the kind of emotionality and that kind of uh, sense of being with a large B that I felt then. And it's almost, it's it, so it's got a kind of quasi-spiritual sanctuary built around it by me internally. And I can revisit it at times. But mm. I I have chosen not to interpret it beyond beyond its experience, as it were. Hmm.
0: You see that, don't you, in kind of religious traditions a, ro- a lot yeah. too, where they like build sort of the Very old, like, much. sanctuary around the sacred, where it's like you that you don't, you know, it's not like you won't say, you know, the um, there's certain words or certain um, descriptions you just like that are just built to be not well, right, and I
2: want And, you know, in the spiritual traditions, as with psychedelics, there's a lot made about ineffability, about Mm -hmm. how that was that experience was beyond words. And maybe one aspect of that ineffability is actually to maintain privacy, to maintain that sanctuary. I don't want to give over to you something of that meaning because it's it's unique to me as soon, you know there's this this, this Wittgenstein argument is that as soon as i tell you about that exp- my experience you know as much about the experience as i do and somehow it's no longer mine we've we've lost our privacy
1: mm-hmm. hmm. Hmm. yeah it's a very different um very different than i think so, some of the fundamental assumptions that are built into the western use of psycho uh, psychedelics that you know p- Uh, emphasize the role of integration and talking about experiences. I'm curious, like, given you're doing these, uh, having these experiences in such different settings, um, if you were to reflect on the more Western psychedelic assisted therapy model that involves eye shades and a playlist, like you said, you know, alluded to before, what do you, what do you see as its strengths and what do you see as its weaknesses? Like, did, uh, I, I'm, I'm, it seems like you probably yeah. have, because I'm in that model all the time and you're somebody who has uh, not only been in that model, but but has experience with many others.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't pro- profess expertise about the model, but I'll just give you like from the hip thoughts about it. Um, it seems to me, it strikes me as a limited... A, a limited, necessarily limited and limiting use of psychedelics to take, um, to take uh, a blindfold. And I, I mean, the the whole, I don't know enough about the intellectual history of this, but to have this sort of preparatory session, the experience, and then integration sessions um, seems to me like a reasonable starting point for how to, work with these very complex uh substances substances that have got such complex traditions and, and 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 I tell you one one thing that comes out of that is that a lot of if you're dealing with as I have with psychotherapy in the field of psychopathology then you are really wanting to strengthen that person in ways where they are unable to cope so the model is the person's ill and we want to give them um, the, the structure in their character to enable them to digest reality in a, in a more efficacious way. And so we're sort of talking about a tacit a, a, a way of of building up the self. And yet the psychedelics themselves, often the experiences one has on psychedelics, are the opposite of that. They are about interconnectedness, about uh, terror, are, are about um, and the diminishment of the self, about uh, reciprocity, about the, the 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 interchanging of subject and object. It's an experience where you're like a dream. You're an actor you're the audience, you're the theatre, you're the screenwriter, and they're all oscillating. So it's in- incredibly complicated. And then to, to take all of that complexity and then build the self, to strengthen the self, seems to me a, uh, sort of underselling in some way of the, the richness of what's on offer there. I, th- I think that um, that said, it, it, I mean, it's, obvi- it, it's obviously worked incredibly well. Uh, thus far. And I I think, you know, the role of music, for example, is, is poorly still poorly understood from a neuroscientific point of view, certainly, and clinically, is it's, there's some, um, I certainly I wrote a chapter on music in the book uh, on the importance of music. And there was something about, again, the sort of John Hopkins idea of having a playlist, and that the music somehow is kind of a mechanistic trigger for certain types of, experience and therefore having a tendency towards certain types of music against other, other types of music, all of that seems to me to get a little dodgy in terms of sort of reinforcement learning and that kind of thing. So that's just some initial thoughts.
0: Yeah. I I think, you know, sorry, Rem, but I think you'd find a a lot of diversity sort of within the um, people who think about this therapeutically for sure. Sure. Um, but it is why, I mean, someone, you know, with your background, you know, in literature and philosophy, I think it's like that's something that I, I uh, really appreciate and kind of oftentimes try to really encourage, you know, people of a lot of different backgrounds. I don't. I think it's not necessarily useful for even um, like the clinical use or the therapeutic use. I don't think it's very useful for only people with a therapeutic mindset to enter into that space because I do think a, a very broad array of perspectives is extremely useful because there's so many different ways to look at the human condition and, and I don't I'm personally not a medical model person I'm a psychotherapist but I don't really buy or use or think in terms of the medical model at all I don't think in terms of psychopathology it's just not a way my uh, I approach um, I approach people um, you know and so I think that uh, I, you know, idea of building up the self doesn't you know resonate with me therapeutically at all it's like well, right. that's the that I don't That's not what's happening. That's not what's really useful. Um, And so I think there is a broad diversity and the more, the better. Um, And um, I really love... In practice, but
2: but in terms of the research, as at least as as when I last looked at it, there's been so little granularity in looking at um, the perspectives of different psychotherapeutic modalities. There's just been this quite dilute mulch uh, of psychedelic assisted therapy that's been sort of under conceptualized in lots of ways you know th- there's been as far as i i know little um little work done for example on possible the possible transference and counter-transference between patient yeah. and um therapist or how that might be conceptualized from different types of psychoanalytic or yeah. systemic practice
0: yeah, this is interesting because we're right, like we're, we're right in this conundrum, aren't we, of uh space versus conceptual, uh, you know, like we, we were talking about early, you know, like on the one hand, you know, it's like giving space, which I think a lot of the models defer to that, right? They defer to, yeah. hey, whatever, like let's not try to over-conceptualize it. Um Kind of like we were speaking about earlier, yeah, right. right. But, but then I think there's also usefulness in what you're saying too. Of like, well, actually, let's like let's look at these containers because what we're doing is we ha- we do actually have a goal in mind when we're using this therapeutically. Like there is a purpose, and so we're trying to build a container for this water that serves that purpose. So we are trying to harness it for a reason. You know, it isn't yeah. just you know, you know. And so in in that case, you want to pay really close attention to this container and then the words that you use and the concepts you build. And and choose to elect like it does matter a lot because you're we're actually trying to create an outcome versus just just entering into it completely open with no concept and maybe that's the best actually i don't like so it's it's tricky but it's
2: impossible to have no concept it's impossible to have an empty space it's impossible to have a container that's not got ideology around it in one form or another And, and 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 i think psychedelics uh, uh, seem to have a kind of intuitive knowledge about finding out the biases of whoever's mm. uh whoever's holding the space
0: yeah this to me is this is one of the things that makes it so fun is it gets into this like um territory of uh, language and the limits of language but you can't leave language alone because i mean you can't i mean you like, like you can't leave it alone, but you can recognize the limits of ideology, but then you're captured by ideology, but then you see yeah, yeah. yourself be you see yourself being captured by the ideology. Like, so it's it's to me, this is the more the most fascinating aspect of psychedelics is sort of how oh, it right. relates and with I how we conceptualize things.
2: And I think there's something that the that, that psychonautical tradition uh uh have w- really been onto. And it's certainly there in indigenous cultures as well, about psychedelics are tricksters they're jokers they use yeah. comedy they use they use envy they use hatred they use these things to carry the person in different ways to mm. get energies moving and a lot of the science we read about is just so friggin earnest and one-dimensional and there may be side effects but we're after the spiritual experience in when i was in sibundo in what they really want is evil wind. They want you to be farting and being sick and groaning and feeling like you're going to die. That's that's what the shamans there are known for, moving this. And that's got a really dense, complicated colonial history of the, the locals resisting the Jesuits in the 19th century and the Jesuits murdering all of the curanderos. And, you know, it's it's, it's there in the land. But you, you'd find these titles one minute sort of giving you very serious histories about colonial and then the next minute just having a you know farting and laughing their heads off and there was just nothing earnest or therapeutic about this in in the in 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 inverted commas, you know
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's often the therapeutic uh, you know the therapeutic aspect you know in my experience of a of a of a psychedelic trip isn't therapeutic in the slightest like it's it relates to nothing that you would talk like that we would discuss like you think of therapeutic as this like your, your words earnest sort of one-dimensional thing and what actually is therapeutic is isn't that <laughs> it might be sometimes but in my experience it's 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 not that you know it's 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 this absurdity for me is 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 one of the things that that, that really yeah. reorients me um a lot you know just you kind of get this uh view of just sort of the absurdity of, uh, of of your situation in a moment, and and, and that's a very yeah. reorienting experience. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That that remind and and how absurd absurd the a sense of the absurd can even without drugs can be something that uh, rescues mm-hmm. us from our, our
0: sense of self, uh, our sense of taking things too solidly. So what has been the? Um, I mean, you said you took uh, forty trips in sixty days, which is, oh boy, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I wonder. Then after those sixty days, you know, after you've had some, you know, after you, you I'm sure there's a whole process of. Um, I don't want to know if I want to say making sense of it, or at least um, digesting it, or what you know. What well, was the that book process was, the of book- like?
2: The book was my attempts to make sense of it, to de-scramble sure. it. Yes. But there was about, it was probably a year ago that I finished um, the the research part. And I can say that I have maybe take I've had one session of psychedelics, mild session of psychedelics in the last 12 months.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I have not missed it. And yet I have not made any kind of uh, prohibition about n- not doing it again. I'm sure I'll do it. I'm sure I'll do it again um when the time is right and I don't even know what the time is right means or in what way I would use it whether it would be to have a laugh or to go and investigate some profound decision I have to make or what I do like the I I, some I, I do like um the music that's made in ayahuasca ceremonies I'm really drawn to that and the kind of coming together that that can promote um but then I also just like uh, being on my own in the forest as well. So there's, the, the, yeah, I don't have any prescriptions. I'm just, a, uh, having done that kind of research, I'm just aware of many different options. And I made I made an awful lot of close, it seems to promote close friends, uh, pr- friendships, and I've made a lot of those across the world. So the idea of going back to them probably means, you know, diving back in on a journey, probably. I mean, I don't know, but it's, it, yeah
0: you could start a, a podcast with, with one of them that's i
2: was saying before we yeah right <laughs> but i was saying before we started i'm I'm really glad to have had two years to think and experience deep psychedelics deeply and i'm really glad that i can move on and do something else now that's equally interesting uh, um and I, I I'm 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 about to do another book which is on it's on a, on how the our culture is being drawn to different kinds of extremism and i'm going to have one chapter where i go to um gabon and take iboga as as my personal uh, extremophile tendency so i'm not completely leaving it behind but most of the book is going to have nothing to do with psychedelics thankfully you know
1: yeah i i'd love to ask another uh cliche therapist question if you'd allow me andy yeah. which is um kind of in line with what we're talking about like i'm curious how this process might have changed you so you know it after like if we if we met you before you had yeah. these experiences and after you've you know after you've had them digested them by writing the book you know how how might you say you're a different person today
2: yeah well i i think it's subtle rather than radical right for a start i i think one thing that i've noticed is that i um when internally I feel like I'm going to die, or that something is deeply, deeply threatening, I just don't take it as seriously <laughs> as I used to. Um, so, and that is that that is a huge difference. I mean, even I say it's not a big thing, but that is sh- the difference. Having encountered death so many times in so many forms on psychedelics, I kind of got the hang of how to let things uh, die of their own accord. Um, I think that I am. Um, I've always been open to new experiences, you know, high in trait openness, but I think I'm, I'm more open to other people's accounts of reality than I was before. I think, you know, when I started the book, I was broadly, you know, broadly a materialist. I, I might have had spiritual inclinations and such like, but if you put me against a wall, I was going to say that, you know, science is the answer. And I, I think psychedelics have definitely loosened my in a, in a healthy way have loosened my, my sort of puritanical grip on those kind of notions. I think that I, I, I think I'm just, I feel like creativity, practicing creativity is far more important these days than I did before I started taking psychedelics. I feel that, um, uh, helping people who are in desperate straits is also something that I need to make a kind of regular observance. Even if I'm not, if I'm not working clinically anymore, I I still need to find that way. And I think that psychedelics gave me that experience from the bottom up. Often I, you know, I did plenty of ceremonies as well as the ones with me tripping. I did ones where I was helping out and that was just very moving when people were really, really uh, deep in their own awful. So
0: those Mm -hmm. things. A leading, uh, you know, a leading question, perhaps picking up on, you know, what you said earlier about that kind of oceanic experience. I'm guessing there's some, uh, I'm curious about, I guess, uh, like, how are you, like, your relation to, you know, helping people, but also the the non-human world. I'm curious about your experience of that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a...
2: there's a there's a scene in in the book where i i kind of had enough of these this bunch of affluent san diego people in an ayahuasca ceremony and we're in the high desert somewhere and i stagger out of the maloca and you're not allowed to go out but i just i just had enough of it and i'm looking around and i see this tree and i you know again i'm from the northern part of the uk where it's kind of uptight uh look at your feet kind of guys. And there's this tree. And I'm just just so taken by its treeness and the ground that it feeds into. And I'm staggered that I've walked past a million trees in my life and never taken notice of how unbelievably strange they are. And I'm having this internal dialogue with this um uh this new tree love. And I think I'm, you know, I'm going to hug that fucking tree. It's about time <laughs> I rack my big. So I walk towards this tree, and I'm just about to throw my arms around it in tears. And it there's there's a a yellow sign that says danger fifty thousand bolts. And it wasn't a tree at all. It was the uh, wooden wooden <laughs> base of a giant pylon. <laughs> the dangers of tree hugging. Oh, but, seriously, boy. but seriously, I think I, I think in general, I mean. It, you know, I've, I'm more, it, it's, it's only a crack. I'm definitely more interested in the life of other things, mm. but I would say this, there's, it doesn't surprise me that psychedelics tries to promote eco awareness as a, as a symptom. And then the research suggests that everyone falls back into exactly the same, you know, habits that they always did. So I, I, for me and i think this has been a salutary lesson psychedelics have illuminated a number of different things but unless i unless i say okay the slate's clean i've really got to develop a muscle psychedelics aren't going to give me a muscle that i didn't have before or a or a discipline i didn't have before Mm-mm. so uh, so i have got something of a practice now where i take myself off into the wilderness and and do a do a couple of rituals that are not very intellectually rigorous
0: yeah I like how you put that too. It's kind of a crack. um, Cause I, I, I do think that that's like, it can crack a perspective. It can, you know, it can open uh, you know, create the sort of this openness and what is often a, you know, kind of a pretty sealed view of things and it can create right. that crack, but nothing changes then fundamentally, unless we walk through that crack with some sort of right. action over time in our right. lives. Um, So, you know, we do get, get the opportunity, I think to try something different, to feel, drawn to something different and then to act from that place and but if we don't if yeah. we don't act if we don't take and do something with it uh it goes i think very quickly yeah. to back to where uh, it was before
2: and i like i like the idea of the crack as well because like whatever model you have for yourself or the world or psychedelics it's gonna have cracks in it's gonna just have cracks in and you do get to choose what to fill the cracks with because you can't fill it with intellectual rigor because the cracks just move around then you can't you've got to choose you could you can fill it with god if that suits you but i think psychedelics helped me fill the cracks of my thing with kindness as trying to make kindness some kind of uh ethics for crack filling
0: Hmm. yeah that's lovely um it does um yeah staying with that crack and kind of the Overall, uh, you know, theme of the conversation too. One thing I often go on and on about is you know ideology and the danger of ideology. You know, we really want, as people, I think, uh, I think there's this um, drive towards like coherence and you know having a mental map that perfectly adheres to um, reality, which is of course not possible. Like it, it's it's not a possible thing. But there's a I think I think there's a really powerful drive to do that. Yeah. um and then when there's a crack we we would rather distort our view of reality than distort yeah our, yeah yeah, our, yeah. Our, our, we want to keep this coherent and we'll protect the coherence of this rather than integrate new information yeah yeah and, and psychedelics really makes that pretty untenable in the moment and it's a question of can you put Humpty Dumpty back together um, yeah you know, or not
2: yeah that's right in terms of exposing our deceptions yeah I, I would just, so there was one, one of the trips that I did. Well, one of the chapters was on um, the psychedelic nature of reality without any psychedelic drugs. And I spent time with this, um, the Kogi tribe. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Kogi at all, but they, no. they live in the sort of mountains in Northern Columbia and they've they've lived so high in the mountains that they've not really been touched by anyone for 1500 years. And they, they, they use coca leaves and lime, but nothing else. Um, And they have an incredibly sophisticated spirituality and cosmology. That's their own. You know, for example, the the priest class spend the first 18 years in a cave from baby, from, uh, from, from birth to learning uh, how to, the, the the interception of their bodies and how to make divinations about the future on the basis of what they're feeling in their bodies and how it maps onto the world with them. And, um, uh, the, the reason I mention this is that they're in terms of having their minds manifest or having reality manifest, constantly manifesting with, um, Intentionality and symbolism and uh, projection and self-deception—that's at the core of their way of being. You know, they don't need uh, uh, consciousness-altering drugs to 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 generate that because their consciousness is already so richly kind of what would what would you say sensitive to intention, reciprocity, self-deception, those sorts of things. And in a way that was kind of the most powerful experience of all of the experiences, because it was just living and breathing in people day in, day out, rather than according to a four hour journey that they may take. And at the end of the book, the two of these Kogi are invited by a Colombian shaman to an ayahuasca ceremony. And they uh, they sit there in the middle of the ceremony. There's just local Colombians there. They sit there for, for four or five hours upright they don't purge or anything and and one of the one of the uh the congregation asked them about their experience afterwards and they said it wasn't very interesting to them they found that it got in the way of uh really participating with the world around them is how they described it which i thought was very interesting yeah
1: that really is
2: fascinating
1: well, thanks again for being on our show today, Andy. It was really a fascinating conversation and would definitely recommend uh, picking up Ten Trips, The New Reality of Psychedelics. A fascinating read. Uh, so, yeah, thanks again, Andy, for, for coming. on. It was great to spend time with you.
2: Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it.
0: Uh, and and um, to let our audience know, too, that 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 your book is on Audible as well. For people who are um, like myself, audiobook aficionados, who you know, um, it's, yeah, it's available and, uh, that way.
2: And if you do listen to it on Audible, uh, you, you'll know, some of it was written while microdosing on different psychedelics, and some of it was read uh, also under the <laughs> influence of psychedelics. And there'll be prizes
1: for who gets what drug for which <laughs> part of the book. Excellent. I right, look forward to that. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank
0: you very much. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I Thanks again for listening to another episode of Altered States of Context. If you haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter by going to alteredstatesofcontext.com.
0: You'll also find information there about where to find us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Your listening means a lot to us, and we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, have a great trip.